G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Even if you believe in God and even if you believed He's revealed Himself to the person of Jesus Christ, what is God really like? Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and it's such a joy to be able to join you wherever you are and bring you another message from Pastor Jeff. In this episode, Pastor Jeff is asking the question, what is God really like? We're looking at the will of the Father, all about the character of God as a holy and sovereign heavenly Father. To help with this, Pastor Jeff is referring to Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 36, where Jesus goes to Gethsemane with Peter, James and John and becomes deeply distressed and troubled. Let's hear from Pastor Jeff now on Today with Jeff Vines. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, over to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14, verse 32 through 36 is the text we're going to be dealing with in our series called Remarkable. While you're finding that, again, that's Mark 14, verse 32 to 36. There are basically three questions that you've got to ask yourself before you die. And you can't just ask. You've got to some, come to some kind of resolution, a definitive answer on those questions, because they're going to determine the way you live your life. Number one, sooner or later, you've got to ask the question, does God exist? It's not a question that you can leave apathetically alone because it's going to determine how you live your life. And ultimately, it's going to determine what you feel about origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Okay? Is there a God? Second question, even if you believe there's a God, you have to ask yourself whether or not you believe that God has uniquely revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ. Second question, it's one thing that you believe in God, it's another thing that you believe that Christianity is the unique way in which God has chosen to reveal himself to the world. Got it? But there is a third question. And the third question means everything concerning the vitality with which you live your life. And it's this. Even if you believe in God, and even if you believed he's revealed himself to the person of Jesus Christ, what is God really like? What's he like? If you don't answer that question very early in life, then when dark seasons come, and by the way, they will come, they will come into your life. When you get the, the message back from the doctor that the tests are positive, that the prognosis is not very good, when your family 
It starts to disintegrate when your marriage starts to disintegrate. When darkness falls, and it will fall sooner or later in everyone's life, no one's immune. Jesus did not say if the storms come. He said when they come. If you've not determined who God is, then the burden that you'll be asked to bear will be unbearable. It'll be too much. Steve Jobs, true story, was forced by his parents to go to church. When he was 13 years old, he found a copy of Time magazine, and on the cover of Time uh, were starving children in Africa and articles in the magazine about the situation there. Steve Jobs brought that magazine to his pastor, and he said, Pastor, watch. And he raised his index finger, and he said, Pastor, did God know which finger I was going to raise on my hand before I raised it? And his pastor said, of course he did. And then Steve Jobs, true story, been documented, held up this Time magazine article and said, then the God who knew this was coming and did not stop it, I, have, I want nothing whatsoever to do with him. And he walked out of church at 13 and never went back. True story. If you don't decide very early in life who God is, when darkness comes, it'll be too much. Notice Steve Jobs did not say he didn't believe in God. He just said he didn't like the way this God ruled his universe. One more time. The price you pay when darkness falls will be too heavy to bear if you don't decide who God is and what he's like. Now, I want you to think a moment. The theologians have tried to help us by giving us four words to describe God. Number one, they say, God is sovereign. That is, he's over all things. Number two, God is holy. He's holy, righteous, and pure. Number three, God is omniscient. He knows and sees everything. And four, God is immutable, which means he's unchanging, which means he's never going to stop being sovereign, holy, and omniscient. Now, I want you to look at those four words that theologians have given us, I don't know, for couple thousand years and tell me, do any of those words give you comfort when darkness comes in your life? Think about it for a second. Sovereignty can seem tyrannical when you come on the wrong side of sovereignty. It's all well and good to say God is in control and in charge of everything until something really bad happens in your life. And if it's true that God is sovereign, it means that nothing can happen in your life that God has not either caused or allowed. Everything has to go by his desk for disapproval or approval. So as long as good things are happening in your life, sovereign God is good. But what happens when you come in the wrong side of sovereignty? Don't you wish you could get an audience with God and plead your case? When God decides that can come into your life, don't you think you'd like to say, wait a minute, don't I get a say in this? That's exactly what Job said in Job 9.33. He said, if only there was someone to mediate between God and me, can I have a say? Can I present my side? Sovereignty can seem tyrannical when you come on the wrong side of sovereignty. And what about holiness? Holiness can seem torturous when you realize the standard by which we're all measured. I had a young girl a couple of weeks ago meet me back there and said, Pastor Jeff, can I have five minutes of your time? I said, yes. She said, can you explain to me why every time something bad happens in my life, I automatically assume it's because of something I've done. After all, Pastor Jeff, you preached a sermon six months ago where you talked about In this creation scenario, God has established the principle of reaping and sowing. That God doesn't sit up in heaven waiting for us to do something bad and then come and pound on us. It's already installed within the created scenario. There's a reaping and sowing principle. You violate the law of God, there's going to be a cause and effect. So she said, how do I know that every time something bad doesn't happen to me, that it's because I've done something really bad? 
Now, a lot of us do that. And the reason we do it is because we know how high the holy standard of God is and how we just don't measure up. So how many of you, when something bad happens, you start thinking about doing a replay in your mind. Let's see, what bad thing did I do for which I'm now being punished? Have you ever done a replay and started bringing to your memory the things that you've done that have been wrong in your past? Have you ever noticed that that's a pretty long list, isn't it? Yes. It is. Job's friend Eliphaz was so shocked at how much Job was suffering and how much darkness he was enduring that after the seven days called sitting shivas, seven days you wait when somebody's in pain and suffering. You don't say anything. You just sit with them. And after the seven days is ended in Hebrew, then you began to speak. Eliphaz, Job's friend, could not wait to speak. And this is what he said to him. He said, Job, can a man or can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? Interpretation, translation, he's saying, Job, it's obvious that you've sinned and now you're the object of the divine wrath of God. This ticked Job off. And Job's response in Job 4.14 was, a despairing man should have the devotion of his friends. Do you know what he's saying? Hey, wait a minute, guys. If suffering comes automatically to everybody who sins, why aren't you boys suffering? I got the goods on you. Why aren't you doing as poorly as I am? Why are you in such good shape? If suffering comes to all who sin, why aren't we all suffering really badly? Holiness can seem torturous when you realize that we're all sinners and deserve far worse than we actually get. You with me? How can sovereignty help me in the darkness when I come on the wrong side of sovereignty? How can holiness help me when I know that I'm a sinner and I deserve to get far worse than I do get? (laughs) That doesn't help. And then God is omniscient. Omniscience can seem as taunting when you realize that God sees your every move and hears your every thought. You ever thought about that? He doesn't only see what you do. He sees what you say and he hears every little thought you have. That's taunting. You remember Muhammad Ali? If you were a boxing fan, you'll remember he did the famous rope-a-dope. He would lean on the ropes and put his gloves over his face and wear out the other boxer by letting the other boxer use him as a punching bag. Joe Frazier, George Foreman, Sonny Liston, they all thought that they could wear Ali down. None of them did, even though they knew his strategy. Ali would just sit there for rounds. The crowd would boo. And then finally, when he got wind that they were tired, he would come out from the ropes and he would just taunt them because he would know that's all you've got and you've not hurt me. Now you're in big trouble. And you'd find them on the deck about two or three rounds later. That taunting, I feel like sometimes God taunts me, don't you? Because that holy standard's always there. And he knows everything I do. It's like, okay, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? I remember one time I was down at my friend, Jojo Duggar's house. I've talked about him before. He had an older brother named Alan, three years older than me. And Alan would pick on my little brother. And you know the law of the universe. When a big boy picks on your little brother, you got to stand up for him. It's just life, even if you're afraid. But Alan was three years older and bigger and stronger. One day he made me so mad, I just ran home and I ran into my closet to get what I call the great equalizer, my Louisville slugger. And I, I was running out of the house with that ball bat and my mom saw me. I mean, I was gonna, I mean, I was gonna bash his head in and then become the pastor of church. Twenty something years. But I'm running out of the house and my mom says, Jeffrey A. Vines, where do you think you're going? And I said, I'm going to Jojo Duggar's house and I'm gonna bash Alan's head in. Why? Because he picked on my little brother and my little brother's crying. And I was mad. My mother looked at me and she said, Jeffrey A. Vines, what would you say to Jesus right now? (laughs) And I didn't even miss a beat. I said, I'll tell you what I'd say. I'd say, Jesus, you better turn away because you're not going to like to see what I'm about to do. And my mother, oh, did I get in trouble? But you can, you can film me, can't you? Come on now. 
The psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Psalm 137, 7. Omniscience to me sometimes seems taunting when I realize that God sees my every move and hears my every thought. And finally, immutability can be terrifying because you realize God's never going to change. He's never going to stop being sovereign and omniscient and holy. So how is that going to help me in the dark days when my life is falling apart, when I don't understand why this has to happen? How's it going to help me? And you find the answer when you look at Christ in the garden and the answer is so beautiful, only the mind of God could have given it. Mark 14, 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, I want you to notice something. Stay with me now. Stay with me. You're tired, I can tell. Stay with me. And remember what we're doing here. We're trying to ask. This is important, man. What is God like and how's it going to help me in the darkness? Notice Jesus now. His darkness is so deep that he pleads with God and he says, is there, even though this is the purpose for which he came into the world, is there, please, another way? Is it possible that this cup can pass for me? He's telling the father, I don't really want to do this. He's not saying, he's not saying that God, it's not important that we redeem the world. He's just saying, this is far worse than I ever imagined. Is there any way we can accomplish the same thing? by another path. The Bible says he's deeply distressed. The Greek word is astonished. And frankly, after going through the first 13 chapters of the book of Mark, you and I should be astonished that Jesus is astonished because from the first chapter, from the get go, we have seen a Jesus who is in total control. He talks about his death as if it's a foregone conclusion. He embraces his death as the means by which he will redeem the world as the very reason he came into the world. Up until this point, he's remained unflappable. What changed? Suddenly in the garden, the Bible says he's troubled. The Greek is to be overcome with a horror. And to give you a little picture of what that means, I knew a guy in New Zealand, the uh, principal of Lifeway Bible College, Trevor Yaxley, an amazing man. And when I first came to New Zealand in 1996, Trevor said, hey, Pastor Jeff, until you get your church started, would you mind coming up to the college and teaching theology for us? So I went up to Lifeway Bible College, taught theology for two years, loved it, and got to know this wonderful, gentle Trevor Yaxley. Amazing man. I've never met a man yet that started every morning out with two hours of prayer. Two hours of prayer. The guy was amazing. He had been... I guess God had worked so much in his life over the course of his life that he'd become a very gentle spirit, very loving man. One of those experiences was that he was driving on Highway 1 from Lifeway Bible College in Snell's Beach down into the city of Auckland. There's only one highway, Highway 1, two-lane road. And he came to a place where the traffic was stopped and he saw uh, fire trucks and police cars and ambulances And after about 20 minutes of waiting, he just got out of his car and walked up. He said, I'll I'll help the police officers. I'll pray for whatever's going on to discover it was his own son who lie on the ground dead after a car accident. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. How do you feel? I lost Delaney in the grocery store once and I got all nausea. Think about 
losing your son in an accident like that. That's the Greek word used to describe what Jesus feels. His emotion is very similar when it says in Mark 14, 34, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I think, wow, what's happened all of a sudden? Now, let me take a quick pause. It's a short rabbit trail, but it's an important one. If you know anything about Greek and Jewish literature, you'll know that they paint their heroes as dying deaths of great courage and bravery. For instance, Socrates, when he's forced to drink the cup of hemlock, is seen giving off one liner after one liner as he's close to his demise. The Jewish heroes, they were not cool and removed, but they were hot-blooded and fearless. They celebrated. They praised God that they were being sliced to pieces by their persecutors. And even early church history tells us about the early church fathers and the disciples were all brave and courageous. Even Mark, who wrote this gospel, his life was ended when the people of Alexandria dragged him to death in the streets of the city. They would drag him a far piece and then ask him, will you recant? Will you give up your love for Christ? And you know what his response is? Bring it on. I'll never deny my Lord. Whatever you got, bring it on. I mean, that's incredible. It's almost like they had this Clint Eastwood type passion. Make my day. Do whatever you got to do. Now we come to Tim Keller's book, King's Cross, on which this series is based. And he asks an important question. He says, why is it that Jesus' followers have died better than Jesus? There's something in the garden that shocked the unshockable son of God. It couldn't be the physical pain of crucifixion because he had seen hundreds, if not thousands of those. What was it? And Keller says, he faced something that no one else faced. And you find it in the words when Jesus says, take this cup from me. We talked a couple of weeks ago how that's a Hebrew metaphor for the wrath of God exacted upon injustice. Now, I want you to think with me. Stay with me. Go back to Trevor Yaxley's story. You're the father. And you're, let's say he pulls his car out from the line and he passes by and he sees his son there on the pavement. And his son is still alive. And he sees his father and he raises his hand and cries out, help me. And his father turns away and just keeps going. That would, in some cases, would be worse than the death itself. What would you think of me as a father if my son Delaney is drowning and I'm just on the riverbanks and he's saying, help me, father, help me, and I just kind of turn away and go on with my life? You see, that's what it is that devastates Christ. Tim Keller in King's Cross says, Jesus, all of his life, whenever he turned to his father, the spirit flooded him with love. What happened visibly and audibly at Jesus' baptism and transfiguration happened invisibly, inaudibly, every time he prayed. But when he turned to the Father in the garden, all he could see was darkness, and he staggered. What did Jesus experience that none of these other people experienced? Exclusion from God, from light, from love, from hope. The divine dance between the Trinity, the perfect unity and community that had always existed between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was now broken. And in that moment when Jesus needed his father, the father abandoned him and Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you know anything about the gospel, you know the answer. Why did God turn his face away? He turned his face away from his own son so that he would never have to turn his face away from us again. Everything that needed to be done to bring us into close community with God had been done through Christ on the cross. But folks, that's the beginning But the real issue is, how does Jesus handle this darkness in the garden? Because as we look at how he handled it, we learn two things, how we should handle it, and two, what God is really like. 
and why we can handle it the way that we should. Okay, first of all, how did he handle it? Number one, number one, he's honest in the darkness. He pours his heart out. He feels undone. He's honest. He's desperately asking God to change his circumstances. He says, let this pass. Let this cup change. Let everything, let these circumstances pass from me. He's not saying again, I don't want to redeem the world. He's just saying, this is far worse than I ever imagined. Is there possibly another way? Now, folks, the time will come when I will stop talking about my illness, but the time is not today. (laughs) I had another bad week and I'm so tired of this. I really am. I've had enough, even though that I've seen the lessons I'm learning in life. I've learned so much during the illness. I've learned about the brevity of life. Nobody in this room, you have no idea what waits tomorrow morning. Your life can change just like that and everything changes. There are no guarantees how long any of us will live, none at all. And I've learned that and began to appreciate that and live each day then to the fullest. I've become more loving and compassionate if I do say so myself. It's not that I didn't care a year ago. It's just that you cannot help people who are hurting until you've hurt yourself. And so now when people stop me downtown and they say to me, Pastor Jeff, I'm going through exactly what you're going through. A year ago, I'd have prayed a prayer and moved on. Now it's like, oh man, tell me about it. Let me, tell me what you're, tell me, what are you, are you, are you on any medicine? Have I told you about Xanax? And we just keep going on. <laughs> There's something that's happening. I see that. I do. I see it. I see even the tenderness I have with my wife. There's a tenderness in my life because I realized that she's given me so much. Two lovely children. I realized the depth of her love for me. I realized that I have no guarantee of how long I'll have her or how long she'll have me. You just don't know in life. I know this is going to sound a little bit weird and I don't mean it to. So you have to just take what you know of me and translate it. I, I began to feel a deeper compassion for the injustice in the world, all of it, the hunger and the, the people who are out in the line today who are here to get a meal and people have lost their jobs, all of that. I'm telling you, I was a different person a year ago. I talked to Dr. Lindenheimer, my doctor, Jewish doctor, and I asked him, are you ever going to be able to tell me why this happened? Why I go from one day perfectly healthy, the next day I feel like all hell literally has broken loose and I'm about to die and I have these feelings where I wake up in the middle of the night where it feels like I'm dying. The only response was Jewish doctor to a Christian pastor. He said, Jeff, that's life. I said, is that all you got for me? He said, Jeff, there are no guarantees in this life. You should know that. No guarantees. And I'm just thankful for the years that God has given me. Well, Pastor Jeff's getting quite deeply personal there about his own struggles and what he's grateful for. Unfortunately, we'll have to leave it there for today. But next time we'll come back to hear the rest of this message about what God's really like and about being able to bring everything before God. I'm telling you, I think God is big enough to take it when you say to God, I don't like this. I don't want this. Take it away. Let's do this a different way. It's okay to do that as long as you do what he did next. 
Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.